my goodness me. Here it is, predictable, well choreographed, perfectly rehearsed. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Grassroots, the number one club rugby podcast for the women's game. In this county trial of an episode, we welcome prop turn ref Holly Faller from Devon, where she talks about her switch from the front row to the whistle following a nasty injury. We give ourselves a collective slap on the back, Holly bodges a rugby quiz, and we discuss the literal trials and tribulations of county rugby. We bring news of the new Grassroots Festival, discuss Molly's 100th cap, and generally chat nonsense. For those of you missing Shez Says, she's been on holiday, so don't worry, there'll be a one-off Shez Says special coming out soon. 22 months out with a triple B operation. She runs in, tries for fun. I'm Goose. I'm Lou. I'm Molly. I'm Joyce. And I'm Jodie. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. Well, just to keep everyone updated with my life, the desserts sound great. Very excited for <laughs> I'm Thank currently you. trying to referee a two-dog contest that is currently <laughs> going on. And my Tesco delivery is due in 55 minutes because it's late. So the delivery was meant to arrive at 7. It's still not here. And the guy messaged me to say it's bad weather. And I was like, no shit, Sherlock. So, yeah, I might have to just put, like disappear while you guys carry on talking. Well, without further ado, Molly, I, f- I found a little mini jingle for you from, oh, from the last episode. Here you go. Yes. You just need a good finger blasting and then you'll be fine. <laughs> oh, Jesus, that's as bad as Reed's wanking thing. <laughs> Although I have noticed that you're wanking girl as the name on the thing, which did scare me when I logged on. I was like, oh, left the porn on. Shit. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's good Again. read. I like it. Again, Again. <laughs> always leaving the porn on. But yeah, they sound tasty, Reed. Mm. Yeah, new ice creams. I went to a food expo last week for one of my suppliers and it was basically all the different manufacturers trying to get you to buy their products. But these look really cool and they're pretty funky flavours that the kids are going to pester their parents to have. Now, for me, that is a massive selling tool right there. Yeah, definitely. And plus, after Jazz Fest, we're going to get one of those ice cream displays, you know, like at Snugbury's, like a six-tub display. So you can actually see what you're going to get. So I think that's going to boost sales dramatically. That's exciting. I've got some news, by the way. Uh, What have you found out about Cronenberg? No, has anybody else found out about Cronenberg? I've got a, um independent investigator on it <laughs> who has insight. So watch this space. Watch this space. Cronenberg may be outed. Can't wait. Mm. Are you there, Jodie? You've been very quiet. You're on mute, Jodie. Like the Christmas episode all over Yeah, again. that's why I've been quiet. <laughs> I've been on mute. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, my signal's a bit dodgy. I am currently... In the new house, and it is a bit um, hot spotting currently. Are you? That's not yeah, too bad. So it might be a bit. I can hear people They're basically robbing Wi Fi off the neighbours. No, no, I'm using my phone hotspot. So. Oh dear. Mm. Not good. How's the new house? It's going well. I'm not in here yet, but I'm trying to move in bit by bit so that I'm forced to go, fuck, right, okay, I'm going to have to sort this out soonish. But yeah, it's going well. I'm an adult now. It's happening. I've got to start paying nice. bills properly. Excellent. Get that podcast studio fitted like we talked about. I am going to think about it. I'm going to see how much it is, cost up. And... Is that code for sex? Yes. <laughs> wanking chamber in your case. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, let me uh, know when you've done it. I'll be round. Yeah, I'll be soundproof, so it'll be perfect for you, Lou. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Is it wiped clean as well? Oh, shut up. <laughs> oh, back like one of those old people's like one of those old people's wet rooms. Oh, <laughs> oh, Batty! Edit, edit, edit. Yeah, yet again, make you work for myself. Who mops the wet room out? No, no. Let's just not go there. This quiz book's excelled, you know. Has it? Yeah, it's got lots of different categories. So I think we should potentially put Goose on the spot about Exeter. No, yeah. good shout. Before we start, tell the message from Fiona Brunch. She's going to come on and do a celebrity knock on, knock off. Hey. <laughs> RFU, laws of the game, knock on, knock off. Can we call them rules? See if it annoys her. <laughs> I'm going to do so badly in that. Yeah, you Ex- are. Extra bad. So how are we all anyway? So Molly, you're, you're fresh off the 100 cap game. Have you come down yet? <laughs> it was just amazing. Not just for the 100 cap, but just the fact we got to play on a Friday night in front of a massive crowd it was shit conditions, it was cold, it was wet. And I don't know how many people were there, but it, it felt a lot. Obviously, you know, we're not playing at Twickenham or Murrayfield or anything like that, but the support we got across the board from the girls' section, the academy, the men's section, people coming down that we've not seen for ages, the return of Fuchsia, like all these different things. And just as a kind of selfish note, before we went through the tunnel, uh, someone on the pod just gave me the most amazing pep talk and just said how proud she was to play alongside me and just all these things and 100 caps is incredible but to do it alongside such an amazing team was just yeah I was very emotional and then to score the winning try I think I've watched the video back about nine times it was just the crowd and just everything was amazing and fair play to Manchester they put up a really good fight but we played some of the best rugby I think I've ever seen us play so yeah, momentous occasion, and uh, thank you very much to everyone that made it special. But yeah, that feeling going over the try line five minutes from the end was just the best feeling that I've ever had. However, one of our team members literally did me up the arse. Um, <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. Uh, so what? Sam on the pitch? No. So I went over the try line, and then everyone dived on me. Jess ran over first, and she put her arms up, and she just gave me a massive hug as I was lay on the floor. And then Sam came right up behind me, and it's the closest I've ever got to a pegging from a girl. Like it was <laughs> like. And then she proceeded to say, "I'm really sorry. I've just done you up the arse." So that was that was comical gold. <laughs> Goose gave me the most amazing pep talk before we went on, and it was just yeah, it was just an incredible experience. Did you, Goose? And, yeah, it was just amazing. Yeah. Can you relive it for us, Goose? What did you say? Did you say you oh, know? Oh God, no! Because oh, I got it. You're one of a kind. I look up to you. You're my hero. Don't think I went quite as far as calling Molly my hero, but it was along the lines of, yeah, she's a fantastic asset to the club, team in particular, um, but I probably wouldn't still be playing rugby now if it wasn't Molly, and I'm going to get emotional now. If I had as much talent as she did, then I would be really happy. We'd all be really happy, to be fair. Uh, yeah, to be fair, a whole team of Molly's would just be fucking amazing. But even just to have a tenth of Molly's talent, I'd be pleased with. So I may have gone a bit emotional because I felt like Molly was having Dude. a bit of a moment before she went through that tunnel. So, yeah, bless her. Nice. It was an awesome Dude. night. Matt, I don't think we can escape because the guys don't know this. So Matt actually wrote a speech. Did he? 
I did. So Katie, so right, just backtrack a bit. So <laughs> Katie messaged me in the week, right? She's like, oh, Matt. So those of you that listen to the episodes starring Katie, if I need to get back on, because she's always comedy gold. She's like such a cool person, so funny, but a little tiny bit scatty, has to be said. <laughs> That's a, a little. <laughs> I think she'd forgotten that it was your hundredth cap or realised that she had to actually organise something. So she called me and she's like, Matt, it's Morris Hundreds Cap on Friday. Are you coming down? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's coming down. Yeah. She's like, do you think you could say a few words after the match? Because, you know, we've got a few things we want to do and have a little presentation for and so on. But obviously, you've known Molly for a really long time. You coach her at the start of it, all and all that sort of stuff. Can you prepare a few words? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. I sat down. And I thought, right, I'll, you know, write a few things out so that I don't just talk shit after smashing some like points during the game. Yeah. So I'll try and say something that actually, you know, matters to Molly and to, and to me and to obviously to the people around us. I was like, yeah, so I've had this little speech. I've been preparing it and I wrote it. And I got my little sound system, everything, so the people actually hear what the fuck was going on. I was like, right, we're just waiting there for, <laughs> for Katie to call me up. And then she just never did. I was like, ah, okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> so like Nick said a few words, Jess said a few words, and then that was it. I was like, oh, so I just gave it to Molly and said, look, read it in your own time. Aww. So I went home and I had probably like four or five more pints danced around the living room John went mental because it was like it's one o'clock in the morning Molly because I was just <laughs> on such a high and equally like just playing at that time it's hard to wind down after you've kind of had your post-match food at 10 o'clock which Reed cooked and it's really hard to wind down so anyway on the Saturday afternoon I kind of grabbed Matt's piece of paper and I read it and I don't know what it is Matt and I hope everyone in a club out there has someone like you because you don't get the kudos you deserve you wrote the most beautiful speech that I have ever read in my entire life and he was so comical and not too affectionate but I read it and I sobbed and I think that no matter who is your support network in rugby they're what gets you through because I read it and I cried my eyes out because I thought back to everything that we've all achieved across all the years every single one of us has played a part in keeping our team going and Matt just put it so beautifully in this speech. And I would never ask you to read it out again, Matt. But sorry that Katie didn't ask you. But actually, <laughs> I think it meant more to me reading it on my own because I wouldn't have digested it. And I think we're all guilty of being really hard on ourselves. So I could score a hat trick, do some amazing tackles, and I would still think I wasn't perfect and still think that I could have done better. And I would still go away going, oh, God, I missed that tackle. So I think it's just important that whoever your support network is and whoever is kind of your like entourage on the pitch, no matter how good you are or whether you've just started, you need to appreciate it and and listen to what they're saying because without that support network, a lot of people would stop playing. And I just wanted to give you a shout out, Matt, because it was just amazing. And if I could write a speech about you, it wouldn't be half as good, namely because <laughs> I'm not that good at writing bullshit, but like it, you are just incredible too. And as we go back to what we said on the Sue Antis podcast, men in the female game are rare and supporting the female game are rare. So we definitely need to appreciate our male allies that support the women's game because without people like Matt, we wouldn't have a team. Thanks, Mel. Actually, but you're still a wanker. <laughs> I actually feel a bit choked up after you said that, to be honest. No, no, but, um, it's true, though. Without people like you, without people who ref week in, week out, with all of those things, the women's game wouldn't be where it is. And I think it's quite poignant after International Women's Day that 
we wouldn't have a game if it wasn't for our male allies that have stuck by us and stuck up for us and said, actually, these girls are amazing. So, yeah, I think grassroots salute needs to go to Matt. <laughs> That's a I'll good shout, Mo. That's a good shout. <laughs> I didn't prep anyone else, so he can have it yeah. this week. All right, nice one. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. No worries. Well, this is very self-indulgent pod so far. We've basically bigged up Molly. Molly's bigged up herself, and she's bigged up me. So, and Goose. And Goose. And, and, Goose, yeah, and, 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 and you know what? Let's big up Jodie as well because she's fucking incredible. She's back after the injury. She's not got hurt. She's doing well. Actually, Jodie, that's a really good point. Massive kudos to see you back on the pitch. Um, I didn't know you were back on. I didn't actually see the game, but when I saw you afterwards and you'd been playing, massive respect because after that leg break, whenever it was, or that fracture, we had a bit of a moment off air where it really wasn't going well for you and to see you come back and get back on it. Well done. How's it feeling? Thank you. Yeah, it's it was really nice to actually be back at rugby, back at training. Felt okay, and it was nice to top it off with a nice little try as well. So, yeah, feeling good. Thank you for asking. Try as well. Amazing. Yeah, but I feel like Jodie's underselling that try because it was an intercept try, and yes, it it was probably the most beautiful bit of timing I think I've ever seen Jodie do. And yeah, it was amazing. It was a great try, Jodie. So don't undersell it. Thank you. And it was in tens as well. So that was a bit exhausting. I think it was nines by that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kept dwindling close to sevens at one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got it back now. I've got the, the drive to do rugby again. There was a bit of time where I was like, can I keep doing this? At what point, what do I need to break for me to stop? Because. I could do. I like a lot of. People you got anything left this. to break? <laughs> you break, exactly. break everything. <laughs> do I end up breaking my back? Do I get paralysed before I go? Right, okay, this is enough. Or would I still keep going after that? You probably would, though. You? Start? You just go to wheelchair rugby and dominate that as well. Yeah, I would. But yeah, it's good to be back, healthy, and hopefully I can finish the rest of the season without another injury. I'm sure you will, Jade. While we're in the subject of self congratulations and generally bigging each other up, we want to talk about Lou being the official owner of Kennedy's Diner as well. That's massive. So for listeners, you've been part of this journey in and out, but yeah, about a year ago, Lou and his partnership with some other friends of ours and set it up. It's been amazingly successful in the local area. And just recently, after a few conversations with the people that she went into business with, she's decided to take it on full-time herself and it's been signed over. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yes, it is official now. It's all mine. <laughs> Congratulations, yeah. Lou. That's amazing. We've got a special listener offer. So, you what? know, if, you, if you're a listener of the pod, oh, you can go and you can have free food for life. <laughs> what? Buy <laughs> 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 one cocktail, I'll get 10 free. No. <laughs> yeah. That's just, only. That's just <laughs> you guys. <laughs> yeah. And um, we're coming up to our one year anniversary as well. So. It's been a massive year of ups and downs, and you've heard some of them on the pod. There was one incident I just want to talk about this weekend uh, that involves Sherry Davis Hill. <laughs> so I was working in the kitchen on Saturday um, with the chefs, and Sherry fo- started phoning me on my mobile. And sometimes, sorry, Sherry, I'm like, I haven't got the time right now to speak to Sherry. Likely to be a 20-minute conversation of ranting. Anyway, I thought, well, I'd better just answer it. And she was obviously driving. You could hear, uh, all right, Reed, how we doing? <laughs> so I let you know, there's some lads around the back of your place. 
Now they're hanging off the railings and all sorts. So I've got her on loudspeaker at this point. Bear in mind, I've just taken on three new, really young chefs in the kitchen who we don't all know each other very well at this point. So the sherry on, on speakerphone. So I went out the kitchen door where my car is parked as well. And there's these four young lads. <laughs> and I engaged fishwife and sherry mode all in once. Oi, lads, get lost. Get out of here right now. And Sherry's still on the phone listening to me do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I'd let you know, Reed, because we're near your car and everything. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> Sherry, yeah. I said, bugger off, you lads, bugger off. I <laughs> <laughs> got these new chefs in the kitchen that were looking at me. Obviously, I was a bit louder than that. I got all these new chefs in the kitchen just looking at me like, fuck this woman about. <laughs> I'm like, anyway, welcome to Kennedy's. How we roll? Indeed. Well, exciting times. Can't wait for the name change. Lou's Diner. It's not going to be name changed. Is it not? Oh, I've spent a lot of time. Wanking Shack. Oh, fuck off. I knew. I knew <laughs> that was coming. <laughs> well, I might get a bit more business if I call it that. Yeah, indeed. So, topic of tonight's conversation, as we're getting around to that time of year, is county rugby. So I have some very strong views on county rugby, or more, more specifically, the administration of county rugby in South Cheshire, or Cheshire, which may or may not have some connection to Bronenberg, but you know we'll we'll park that thought for the time being. But in fact, all of you have played county rugby, haven't you? You've all been selected from the pond life of rugby players in the local area, and um, put on the set on the big stage. So. Who wants to go first? Goose, perhaps talk us through the county experience. Well, I had a different coach, again, he who shall not be named, who you had a particular rivalry with, Batty. Did you have a nose in the shape of a cock? <laughs> <laughs> and Batty, you and Lou went to a meeting with him and ate a load of ham. <laughs> and eat a load of ham, you ate all the ham. All the ham. <laughs> Matt went to pick one slice up, but it, they'd all stuck together, and he took like the whole plate of ham. And then he was committed; he had to eat it. <laughs> he had to take and the then, ham at that. And point. they gave us like little sheets at the end to put feedback. I put there wasn't enough ham on my feedback form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I had the pleasure of having Lou on my Cheshire call up which meant that when we had the away game, I got no sleep whatsoever <laughs> because, of the, because of the snoring from across the hallway. Uh, but yeah, it was it was all right. It was a good laugh. It, I can't say that the level of and standard of rugby was any better than we're playing at a club level. It's obviously, it's a pride thing to run out and represent your county. So I've done it for Cheshire and I've done it for Warwickshire. And it's it's nice to think that you've played to that next level up. But I just don't think it's structure isn't there. The support isn't there compared to other counties. I just don't feel, particularly in Cheshire, that the setup is right. There are some counties that just have a much better setup and get much better results. But it's always great, isn't it, though, to take your playing career to that next level. And Jodie, you basically went, robbed all the stash and then didn't play. Is that right? Did you play? I remember seeing you turn up at training. And if there'd been a Cheshire key ring, you'd have had it. <laughs> Yeah, there was a Cheshire key ring. I've uh, still got one. I never got a key have ring. You, have you got a yeah, Cheshire got a lot of like stash. toilet roll cover it. as well? It's like Cheshire had vomited on Jodie when she turned up at training. You got like a Cheshire air freshener in your car. Got really? a Cheshire 
bag, uh, trousers, shirts, socks, top, jumper, windbreaker, hat. I've got a woolly hat. I think I've got a woolly hat as well somewhere. Yeah. No, I did play one game. Can't remember who it was against. A sub. I was. It was away somewhere. That's all I remember. But yeah, I've not really done that many Cheshire, full Cheshire experience. trials due to multiple injuries throughout the years because I always seem to hurt myself when the trials are on or COVID happens. Nothing happens. No change there then. How much of your rugby life have you spent injured, Jodie? If you were to look at it as a percentage, the amount of time you've been physically able to play rugby versus the amount of time you've been injured? I think this season it's been about 78% of not been able to make games because of injury. I'd say probably 10% of all the years, maybe 20%. The other so 70% overall, was made up with not being available for various relationship issues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd say <laughs> overall 20% of my career I've been injured. One in five. <laughs> yeah. So of the seven years I've been playing, I've probably been injured for a year and a half. Yeah, this is true. So Molly, your county career can basically be summarised as the price hasn't been right yet. Your agent hasn't quite got the deal needed for you to turn out. There's been ongoing yeah, discussions about the fee and you've been like, no, needs another zero on the end before I'll play. That's not true. So I represented Cheshire from the age of 18 to 25. Oh, did you? Yes. And then I played for Staffordshire when I was 28. So Why did you play for Staffordshire? Because yeah. I lived there. You couldn't get into Cheshire. No, I just didn't want to go to Cheshire set up. But no, when I was 18, I captained the under-18s for Cheshire. And then I played for Cheshire from 18 to 25. Wow. Yeah, who knew? And then when the dickheads took over, I stopped playing. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got no polite way of saying that. Yes, yes again, <laughs> we have to be massively careful with what we say. Um, no, sorry. But no, 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 no. I think we need to address it but no it's actually like joking aside it's quite a serious issue because the ongoing conversation we've had up here and i'm sure this is the same in other counties is that there are too many very good players that are not representing their county for reasons to do with the setup and the setup is so important representative level you know it needs to integrate really well with the grassroots game uh, people need to see it as an aspirational thing to do to go and do as a player and it needs to feel premium, doesn't it? It needs to, you, know, you need to walk into a county setup and feel like you're with the elite of the grassroots game in your area. But what, what has the experience been like for you when you've walked into the local setup? I don't want to sound like I'm a, above my station or think that I'm the best player in the world because every player's got things they can work on. The reason I've not represented county, or, well, I'll say not represented, not gone to the county trials, has genuinely been because I don't agree with the way that the county select their players so I'll give you a bit of context so county setup is very much like you go to one trial you do some fitness you do a contact game you do a bit of skills and they select players great fine trials are always difficult my viewpoint is that actually the county coaches should be elected at the start of a season and they should go and and watch multiple games between two teams within their county and if a county coach goes and watches uh say I don't know like five games a season they're gonna get a kind of feel for the players that are of good standard a trial is a very artificial environment it's a very artificial environment so 
you go to one trial and the coach is expected to see you at your best. Now, don't get me wrong. If you don't perform at county trials, then everyone has an off day. So I'm not saying that that's wrong. I think there should be a trial, but I think it should be over like a three week period. So I think there should be multitude of different skills. There should be fitness. There should be contact. There should be drills. There should be handling. There should be lots of different aspects to it. But I don't think a coach can see a player at their true potential unless they're playing in a comfortable environment. Now, the county window is short. So I do think that the county window should be longer because it allows people to gel. And that's what I think the difference is between especially Cheshire, Staffordshire and kind of the lower down counties, whereas Worcestershire, Devon and all of those areas, a lot of the players will be together for a long period. And that's why they are dominant in the county setup. So I think it needs a bit of work in terms of how it's kind of made up and how people are selected because you can't possibly see a player for one night and say, yeah, you're the best 10 or you're the best nine or you're the best eight, whatever that situation is. There's a multitude of aspects that mean that somebody should get selected. And I just don't think we're there yet in the women's game. I don't think the trials or anything are up to where they should be. Now, don't get me wrong, someone getting selected for county is fantastic and no one should have that taken away from them. But when a multitude of players who I believe are the best in their league or best in their area aren't going to trials, we've got to ask ourselves why. Look, I sat in a meeting with the Cheshire coaches and I raised this issue while stuffing my face with ham about how come I, as essentially head coach for a, at that point, very successful, and I'll continue to be very successful grassroots team down in Crewe. And also, I think I've probably had my finger on the pulse a little bit, the local setup for, the, for other teams as well. I asked them the question, I said, Look, why, why has nobody called me? Why has nobody come down to games? Why has nobody said to me, who are your best players? Who do you think should represent the county? Not one person called me or, or asked me that question. And the answer I got which still baffles me to this day. I still find it incredible that the person concerned who is currently out of work (laughs) (laughs) minister without portfolio i think the word is but no she said to me she said well because at cheshire we select players based on the trials because we have the best coaches in the area running cheshire and our ability to judge talents and ability is basically better than yours (laughs) so if we'd come and see them over a, a couple of hours our judgment is greater. I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. This isn't right. There's a massive difference between a player that can turn up and go through the motions for an hour and ponce about and look half decent. You know, there's one I can think of straight away that's played for Northwich, played for the Isle of Man, played for <laughs> Sale FC, played for, I don't know, wherever else. You know, Crew and Nantwich, for Christ's sake, who, if she walks into a training setup, does look like a decent player. She's very physical. She's in good shape. She talks a good game. But you manage her for more than 30 seconds and you realise that she's toxic on every level possible. These coaches are saying, well, actually, no, our, our knowledge and our insight into the game is superior to yours. I'm like, whoa, whoa hang on a minute. You've been with the team for, I don't know, six months of the year in freezing cold and you've had to you know, dig players out of their pits on a Sunday morning to travel for three hours to play, you know, against a team in North Yorkshire or something. You know a little bit about the players that can front up in difficult situations against really good opposition, you know. They're having none of it. I found it incredible. 
Yeah, and what I find incredible is that I think that the county trials should be open, but if you look at the cohort of people that have gone to Cheshire, because that's obviously the county that we're in this year, I would say that not being selfish, not about me, but about other players in our team, that I know for a fact that one of our players in our team is the best seven in the championship too. And I would probably say she's the best seven across all the championship teams or one of the top three. She's not gone to county trials, fine. But there's probably about eight or nine people from our team that have not gone because of the political battle within the county in terms of they don't think they're going to get selected because the county coaches, unfortunately are involved with a local team and that creates a bias. I think the county coach should be completely platonic. They should select on merit and on no kudos from anybody else. And I think the county coaches need to be not from the area because they have a bias, whether they know they have a bias or not. It's that unconditional bias of, well, I know you're a good player. I'm going to pick you. That's great, but that means that you can't overlook other people that are putting their bodies on the line and they're putting themselves open for selection. And I think that the coaches within the leagues in that county should put forward the names of the people that they think are the best players to give a bit of insight. And then that person can make their own decision about who they think. So, for example, if Sale, Crew, and Birkenhead Park put through our number seven, then that's three people that have gone that they are considered to be the best players in their team or the best in their position. And that's up for the county coach to make the decision. However, if they are a coach of a team in the league, they are naturally going to have bias because they've seen them week in, week out. And that's the political battle that we have, that they'd rather pick an 8, 9, 10, 12 combo that play together regularly because that's what they know. But it's not just us, it's every other county and the girls' sections that are, have this political bias because of the team they play for. So one of the conditions when I think Lou, Hannah, Thornhill and Goose played, you weren't allowed to wear club kits at the trials. This year, you can wear what the hell you want. So when everyone rocks up in their sale kit, in their Birkenhead kit, naturally you're going to be like, oh, you play for sale or you play for Birkenhead, you must be really good. Whereas the teams that are playing for champs, you know, below champs Chester for example are they going to have that unconditional bias to say well you're in Chester kit so you can't possibly be as good as the person that's got the Birkenhead kit on and that naturally will be in your head because we're all human oh yeah totally obviously Lou you went along and you got in the squad and all the rest of it and you were getting towards the tail end of your rugby career I guess what was the experience like did you feel intimidated by it did you feel you enjoyed it did you feel that you were respected as a player that's from a different club Playing for McCanty was one of my main aims before I retired. I just really, really wanted to play for County. Probably could have tried out sooner in my career. I just didn't, didn't kind of get round to it or anything. Or it wasn't a thing in the clubs that I'd played for. And I want to say that it was enjoyable, but I'm struggling to say that, actually. <laughs> I kind of went through the motions, actually, just to say I played for County. I think it was definitely one or two clubs biased I didn't really feel like it was you were picked on merit so much and there were definitely some players in that lineup that really really should not have been there it was very clicky towards definitely waited to a couple of clubs who surprise surprise that 
county coaches were their coaches from their clubs. But anyway, I did try to go with an open mind and tried my hardest. I got in. I played some matches. We were shit. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up spending a fortune on clothes that we were told we had to wear. And now, I mean, in hindsight, I would have said, no, not doing that. If you want me to wear camel-coloured trousers, you could bloody pay for them. (laughs) Because when the hell else am I going to wear them? No. Yeah, so Jodie would wear them. <laughs> I'm not even sure. So only if they were free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a mixed bag, really. It was the high point of my rugby career, as in sort of level of playing, but it definitely wasn't the highlight of my rugby career, as in games or teams or coaches or experience. Bit of a letdown, really. I always wanted to say I'd played for county, so I can say that. Oh, yeah. And then the second season, I went to try out. Some prick decided they were going to show off, tackled me proper low, below the knee, snapped me ACL. Thanks for that. They're basically ahead of the curve with the law changes, then, basically. <laughs> yes. She's always important in representative rugby, stay ahead of the curve. So, you know, I played county cricket and I echo a lot of what you guys are saying. I felt it was clicky. And also, I don't know, you kind of walk in and you kind of know whether it's your people or not a little bit. And it wasn't for me. I enjoyed the experience. I liked saying I play county cricket. I enjoyed, I guess, the experience of playing alongside some players that went on to like, well, one play for England, in fact, uh, a guy called Simon Jones. But the reality was, is it was nice. I enjoyed it more at club level. And actually I think the standard was better to be fair at club level when I was playing back then, you know, but bottom line, it needs a shake up. And I think what we've all agreed is it, there needs to be better engagement between the county setup and the local clubs. And also we need to you know, somehow ditch this whole kind of club favouritism thing. There were definitely certain clubs in this area, Chester, Sandbach, obviously Sale, we've talked about a number of times, that for whatever reason are regarded as marquee clubs. And the smaller clubs or the clubs that, I don't know, maybe aren't on a main road somewhere, um, for work, whatever, are regarded as like second rate or nobody really pays attention to us. And I always found that massively insulting when I was coaching. It was like, hang on, we've grown a club out of nothing into one of the best clubs in the area. We've won loads of games and yet nobody's coming to watch us, No, you know, from representative, the RFU aren't interested. And then you go to Chester and let's be honest, Chester had a couple of decent players, but they were pretty average given their catchment area as a team. Sorry, Chester. Playing the coaching, being a shaped nose, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, teams like that were getting all the all of the sort of attention, and they were involved in all the stuff, and all the trials were held there, and all of the various competitions were held there. It's like just yeah, okay, they got a nice pitch, but come down and see what we're doing for a minute. You know, you might learn something. But but can I just say, Matt, we can eat more ham, <laughs> so we win. <laughs> this is true. I'm joined this afternoon by. Uh, Holly, Holly Feller, who is a referee from Devon. Are you from Devon? Did I make that up? Yeah. Well, I live in Devon, yeah. Right, fine. So we met Holly at the Grassroots Festival, and you got involved with both some refereeing and some uh, silly buggers afterwards with a bit of boozing and general mucking around. Uh, And I think when I met you at the time, I thought you'd be a great person to have on the pod. So welcome and good to have you on. Uh, Thank you for having me. Um, I'm always up for a social. There was absolutely no doubt that I would have been involved in that part of it, to be fair. (laughs) <laughs> Excellent. So Holly, first questions first. Tell me a little bit about your journey in refereeing. 
Um, so I did my course, the um, error it's called, uh, which I think is quite a funny name for a course about referees and making sure that everyone's correct, but it's fine. <laughs> um, I, I did that. I finished it May 2022, so last year, and this is my first proper season of refing. I w- would have started refing whilst doing the course, but I had um, a, a leg injury that was ongoing and then some more surgery, which hindered things for a w- little bit. Um, so this is my first proper go at going. What took you into refereeing then? Why did you suddenly decide that was the path for you? Um, so I played from when I moved to Devon um, in 2010 up until the summer of 2019. That was the last game I played. I broke my leg in a pre-season friendly for another team. Cool. It's quite a nasty injury, to be fair. I, I kind of, I say it quite casually, but it was, it was horrendous. Probably not the worst leg injury out there, but it was awful. And um, it was, I was on the sidelines um, at my team's first home game of the season. Um, and the referee of the game, Graham, uh, came over and he's like, Oh, well, what have you done there? And I was like, well, it's quite obvious, Graham, I've broken my leg, haven't I? <laughs> Doesn't the wheelchair give it away? Yeah. Like I, I wasn't in a wheelchair, I was, but I did have like an old lady frame. It was the day before I was getting my boot and crutches. So I had an old, an old lady zimmer for about a week, which was a very strong look. Um, nice. but yeah, so I... He said, are you going to play again? And I was just, I was very sassy. And I was like, I can't even walk. So like, I just want to think about that first. And then um, he made a joke and he went, ha, you should become a ref. And then I, yeah, very funny. And then he was like, actually, actually, I was joking, but that sounds like a very good idea. And I was like, yeah, behave yourself. And then um, (laughs) I just kept... Uh, like whenever I was at my home games, like the referees that were refereeing um, those games were just like, oh my God, Holly, what's happened? And I was like, well, I've broken my leg. And I was like, Graham said that I should become a ref. And then they were just like, yeah. And I'm not sure if it's because they were sick of refereeing me or um, they thought I should, I'd be good for it or whether I, it'd be good to get a taste of my own medicine. I've always been quite polite, I'm feeling. But um, probably a bit too chatty, I think. Never, never disrespectful, but probably just a bit like fella. Shh, now, please. Um, but I'm just—I'm a chatty front row. I, what can I say? Um, so I kind of—I sat on it for a little bit, and then COVID happened, and no one was doing anything, and um, it just became a, like the 21 to 22 season. I was at an event actually, and Graham was working behind the bar, it was down in Newton Abbott, and he said, well, are you doing your course? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. Um, like the one that's down here is, um, I just kept like, it's kind of like, seemed a bit like I was putting it off. Yeah. And he's like, right, if I sort it and get you on the course and get you at the one at Taunton, will you go? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay. So he did that. And then I went and I, on the drive back, I just I felt like so empowered and like I was like, okay, I'm back in the game now. Not in the yeah. same way as before, but this is okay. This is this is like a new thing. This is quite cool and exciting. I'm ready for this. And um, yeah, it was it was fantastic. And it's just been ever since then, really. Wow. So did you not think to go back to playing? Was it you know you'd, you'd had enough by that point? The leg injury was enough to say right, enough's enough. Or was it you know you just found a love for refereeing? Part of me still wants to go back and before Christmas there were a few times I was on the sidelines and I almost put my boots on and had a run out. It didn't because obviously I hadn't trained and done contact for a while and it would have been disastrous. 
but that's the closest I've actually came to wanting to play for a long time. Yeah. And the plan was to get myself fit enough to go back um, for a game um, mid middle of March, uh, and then and that's what I was aiming for. And I'm, my plan is still to a, get myself fit enough to play again, and then decide mentally if I want to put myself through it. Especially as I, I had a game um, about four weeks ago, uh, and it was my first game for the society, so my second game that I've left ever. And four minutes into the second half, I had to call the game because one of the players dislocated her ankle and broke her fibula. Like, oh, no. I was just like, I was like oh, oh, my God, this is, uh, yeah, not sure. Like, seeing it, and I was just like, oh, I've been there. Like, And I was really supportive of her at the time and everything else, and I've checked in a couple of times since. But it's just kind of like I'm having a bit of a wobble at the moment, so I'm still not too sure now if I do actually – want to play again or not it's it's an, it's an ongoing mental process at the moment but i'm enjoying the referee side of things yeah why not which team was that which which where was the injury uh so that was up at biddeford uh biddeford versus bude that was oh it was quite a good game before that i was um like i felt quite confident in it Every, like you know it was well managed it was like a really good game really good contest um yeah, and it was a shame that it happened the way that it did, really, to be honest. But, um, yeah, these things happen sometimes in rugby, bless her. Like, I'm afraid they do. And even though you can go, well, as I did, more or less, played for 20 years and there was, damn it, without any major injury, apart from a bit of a dislocated ankle, there are some people that just get just have that one tackle that goes wrong, don't they? Or they get their boots stuck in the mud or, you know, a few people pile on from different angles and that can be enough concert sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I just made the mistake of trying to run in a try from 15 metres as a front row, which apparently you're not allowed to do. That's what backs are for. Uh, well, yeah, I know, but I saw a gap and I was like, oh, I'm going to go for this, actually. And then um, <laughs> didn't, you know. Wow. But it was it was quite nice, though, because like that, that, when my injury happened, that was down at Totnes. And my first game that I refereed was down at Totnes on the same pitch. So it's quite a nice little full circle moment. So, yeah, it was uh, a little bit emotional, to be fair, actually. It was, it was also the day after I'd been at Twickenham, but, um, yeah. I've always looked at referees and thought, you annoy the hell out of me sometimes as a player, but there's no way I could do your job and the game really couldn't happen without you. Yeah. How, does it, how do you cope with the the psychological part of it because you know, a lot of players are looking at you expecting you to be safe competent fair you know and all the rest of it and there must be times where you think oh god you're hanging on for dear life um yeah so like obviously because i'm still fairly new so there is that element of self-doubt like am i making the right decision and i think i know the laws well enough from playing and from obviously doing my course to kind of be confident in what I'm doing and then I, I I'm quite I'm quite obviously I'm quite chatty so I will talk through my decisions as I'm going through it and it's it is a bit of a mental process as well especially like when you've got people looking at you and you do feel a bit under pressure and I've I've always maintained that I'm quite a shy person who lacks confidence and kind of doesn't really like confrontation yet on the pitch it's it's really weird I kind of I'm a different I'm a different holly 
Yeah. I'll have a laugh and a joke, um, but I seem to manage things quite nicely and I trust myself a bit more. There are times where I'm just like, and I'll look at my AI, like, I'm quite lucky that I've had um, an assessor in my last game and then I've had ARs who have also been referees and I've kind of just been like, am I right in this? Like, so my first game for the society, I had the um, chairman of the society on the sidelines run and touch me. And so when there was a couple of decisions that I wanted to make, he came on and I said, and I was then I was like, this is the decision that I'm going to make based on the situation that's going on. Am I right? And he's like, yeah, of course you are. And I was like, right. Okay. Brilliant. And it is, you kind of, it's, it's, it's hard, but you've also got to remember that you are human and that you will make mistakes and that yes, people like players and coaches and people on the sidelines will point out your mistakes, but ultimately you have to remember that you wouldn't have to make a decision if players also hadn't made a mistake for you to step in. So like there are no such thing as perfect rugby players. I don't think there's any such thing as a perfect referee. Like you can come very, very close to it and like ridiculously close to being perfect, but we are all human at the end of the day. And so it's just, it's a, it's a, it's an eye opening process learning how to kind of change your mindset from playing to refing. What's been the biggest eye-opening thing for you then, Holly, on this journey? You know, when have you thought, oh, crikey, I hadn't ever thought of the game that way or, you know, you've learned something that you weren't expecting? Um, just about how, like, referees apply the law in terms of, like, materiality and stuff like that and, like, how they kind of have a say in how the game flows. So, you know, you can have one referee who will blow up for every knock on every forward pass rather than a play advantage and you have some that prefer advantage more than others and they handle the game very differently and it's just it's down to you trying to do the best that you can with the situation in front of you so I prefer to play advantage as much as I can and I think most referees do as well but I've been the feedback I've had is that my games flow quite nicely because of that because I, as I played front row for nine years. I love front row. I love scrums. They were fantastic. I'm one of those, you know, well, front row, we're a weird bunch. We love it. But at the same time, I hated too many of them. And like, yeah. you know, when you, go, you do a scrum and you get up and you've got another one like straight away and it's, it's just a bit much. So I, it, one of the eye opening things was that like, actually I'm kind of in control of how the game flows as much as I, like, more than I thought referees were, if that makes sense. Totally, yeah, totally. I think as a player, like you say, you want you want flow, don't you? And you want you want fairness. Uh, you know, like a knock on, for example. If a, a, a ball is passed and it's a clear knock on, that's fine. But if the ball bounces b- beneath the player's feet, and it, you know this, it might have gone forward, it might not have done. Play on. You, do you know what I mean? Like I, I've seen several occasions where somebody's picked up a bump ball. Um, and the ball's barely rotated even a centimetre and it's been blown as a knock-on and it just stops the play and it's the reset of the scrum and, and all the rest of it. Uh, and it can slowly but surely lose it. The game The game can lose its shape, can't it? Which in turn creates more errors. Yeah, and then and then like play, you start to lose players because they get frustrated. They get frustrated because you can't, and then you kind of, you lose them. And you kind of, you need the players to be on side with you as much as they need you to be on side with them. It's, it's a it's a working relationship that I hadn't really considered until I became a referee. No. I just I didn't realise that you kind of like that whilst as a player you have to keep the ref on side, but you as a referee have to keep the players on side as well. You I mean to an extent you do. Like some would argue that you wouldn't, that you don't have to do that. But I think if you don't have 
a two-way respect and a, and a rapport with all the players that was like a nice working relationship the game just won't be enjoyable and and i ref because i want to enjoy rugby so i i'm there to have fun and enjoy myself and to you know facilitate a game of rugby and be involved as much as they're there to play and have fun and you know put on a game of rugby and have fun and you know it's a hobby at the end of the day Totally, absolutely. And the minute you stop enjoying it, whether you're officiating or playing, it's something needs to change, doesn't it? Or you need to stop. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Great stuff. It'd be wrong with me not to talk about the new tackle laws, Holly. A um, lot of consternation in the game, a lot of sh- general grumping and shouting. Um, interestingly, Molly went to uh, the um, Women in Sports event a couple of weeks back with Sue Anstis and co and came back a changed woman with respect to those laws but you must have had a fair bit of flack over the last couple of weeks uh yeah I mean I was at the same conference with Molly and like it's it was interesting because up until that point I was like I don't want to talk about it because I don't know enough and that's still very much uh you know like it was put out that they were gonna lower the tackle height and then the whole waistline thing came in and then you just had from what I saw just loads of people getting angry and saying like well you know and I think a lot of people just assume that the waist is like at the hip area. And I'm like, do you know what a body looks like and where the waist area is? And then it's just like, um, and I just thought, well, there's not enough information to have an opinion on it or like either way, like there wasn't any information on how it's going to be in terms of malls, in terms of pick and goes and, and that kind of stuff. And I just thought, well, perhaps maybe they should have, waited to announce it until they had all the information or waited to announce it until they've done the consultation with people at all the at all the like levels i don't know but i'm not in charge of those decisions i can't imagine it was an easy one to make and it's been an easy one to sit with since but i came away from that conference being like okay i kind of um i i, I kind of i get it i get where you're coming from i'm interested to see how the next few months pan out and what kind of information and training and like policies they're going to bring in for all aspects of the game whether it's coaching playing and refing to see how they're going to do it and manage it and to make it um have the positive impact on safety that they're trying to yeah absolutely well i think they've got a the, the game's got to constantly work to try and reduce serious injuries and injuries are you know are the worst of the bunch really apart from well i could argue to toss about spinal injuries i think anything that can be taken out of the game or clarified from a laws perspective that makes the game safer but maintains the thing that we all love which is basically smashing into each other um is got has got to be a good thing but i think you know what became clear after the announcement was how poorly thought through the, the comms had been not the actual law i think there's a lot of thought and effort went into trying to figure out something that would work but where it was communicated must have put referees under a huge amount of stress oh yeah 100 percent. like i had people asking me and i was like i don't know i don't know enough <laughs> and like, but you shouldn't i'm like but i don't i know as much as you do like i, I don't get any extra information like I, i've seen the same stuff on social media and from the rfu that you've seen like and until I know anymore, I'm not going to have an opinion either way. I, I, they're trying to they're trying to make the game safer, which is great. I think a lot of people saying that they're just um, it's going to ruin rugby. I think they say that every time they bring in a new like variation to a law, this is going to ruin rugby, and it's just like okay. And you have a lot of people who 
you know, the the back in my days who <laughs> like do you know what I mean? Like they haven't played for twenty years, and it's like, but it, it, like the games evolved, and we need to evolve. Like we've got more information, like than we did twenty minutes, twenty years ago. Sorry, on like how injuries impact long term. It's yeah, yeah, sure. Obviously, as a female ref, you're one of a very of a growing but still very small number. Um, you know, have you refereed any men's games? And if so, how did that go? Uh, not yet. I had two lined up for the start of the year. And then um, that pesky weather got in the way, um, so so I had I had two games uh, rained off, and I was quite gutted actually because I was really looking forward to them because I I kind of want to get my first men's game out of the way so that it's not a scary thing that I build up in my head, which I probably won't, but I might. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to doing it and getting out there, and other few other people might you know, think why is she excited about it? But, but for me, it's a different different part of refereeing. It's a different challenge and it's a different like new bit of refereeing that I haven't got yet that I kind of want to get stuck into. And I feel that having women referee men's games will only give better exposure to female referees, and which, might help, which might help with the recruitment of them. You know, we want to recruit more female referees and then ref females needs to be refereeing where there are more spectators and unfortunately that is still at men's games so absolutely you put a lot of posts up in the last couple of weeks holly about your various adventures it sounds like you've been and seen a lot of exciting things with your refereeing gear on um yeah talk me through that that sounds like it's really opening your eyes to you know to, to a different part of the game so i just didn't think that any of this kind of really cool stuff would you know be available to me, let alone me as a referee. So I, it started when I went to um, a conference last July um, called What's Your Everest? And it's about, you know, working out what your version of an Everest climb is within the game of refereeing. And it was a really good conference. Like I had never seen that many female referees in my life, let alone in one room. And it was just, yeah. I was like, oh, this is, oh, I like this. This is good. And it was, it was a, good laugh descended into chaos in the evening and i was just which i wasn't prepared for <laughs> but it was it was so much fun there was just karaoke impromptu karaoke kaylee dancing it just it went nuts um and i was like i'm here for this these are my people um but and then off the back of that then i saw that there was a campaign um with applications open in september for it's called um hashtag inspire and they were looking for female, 50 female referees. And it was with Acne Whistles, the RFU and ruck.co.uk. And they were going to put out a new profile every day in the lead up to the uh, Rugby World Cup final on the 12th of November. And then all 50 of the referees that were selected would go to Twickenham. And then we got to be flag bearers on the pitch before the England-Japan game. And we were given... A nice little bag of stash, actually, including um, a limited edition um, whistle. Oh, nice. And it, yeah, and it was pretty cool. And then off the back of that... Does it, does it play in, Swing Low Sweet Chariot when you blow it? No, it doesn't. It's it's just, sure. it's a nice... It's a, oh, no, it is a bit. It's um, a black, it's a matte black whistle, with, and it's got, um, it's got gold 
uh, that's got the number on this one side. So I've got the number of my profile and then um, it says hashtag inspire on the other side. It's pretty cool. I, it's the one I used when I went and refereed at Twickenham two weeks ago. So that's only been used at Twickenham and I think I'm going to keep it that wow. way. Yeah, they let you on the pitch? Yeah, so, okay, I know. Twice. Twice. Two separate occasions. I've been in Twickenham, well, as as a spectator plenty of times, but as a sort mm -hmm. of dignitary uh, three or four times as well. And I've not once been allowed anywhere near the pitch, apart from a little bit of AstroTurf on the side with some burly-looking security guards. So we were part. Of, we were flag bearers uh, back in November, and um, I was on the England flag, which my dad had the most proud moment ever because he was there anyway. Um, and it was Remembrance Weekend, and he's ex-forces, and there I am on the on the pitch on the England flag, Remembrance Weekend for the national anthems. He was loving it. I was loving it too, to be fair. Uh, my partner, it was his first ever trip to Twickenham, and he got hospitality and no, wow. got to see me there, which was fantastic. And then, um, yeah, and then because of that, I then got I was in one of a few that were selected to referee curtain raiser games on the pitch at Twickenham. For the join the Six Nations, so I was there with my friend Becky on the fourth of Feb before the England Scotland game. Wow! And um, yeah, and then that again. So they let me on the pitch again uh, for the national anthems and also to ref. It was really surreal because I was refereeing some kids touch, and then I look over my shoulder and Finn Russell's practicing his kicking, and I'm just like, "This is this? Wow! Is this real Bandai. life right now?" A little bit. I was just like, took a, had a moment where I was just like. This is this is pretty uh, pretty surreal, but also amazing. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, my, par my partner came with me for that. So he's only ever been to Twickenham twice, and both times, it's kind of each time's kind of escalated. We go in in April to watch England versus France and the Women's Six Nations, and I need to try and hammer home to him that we're just there as normal punters, not. We're not going to get any kind of pits <laughs> or access or any hospitality. He's like, I don't know what you want about Holly. Are we not getting a box? No, we're not getting a box. That's not, that's not how it's works. Dig, dig out on old pass and just stri stride purposely towards the hospitality area and see whether they let you in. I have a kid. The thing is, I think I'm one of those people that, for good or bad reasons, I'll let people decide that once you kind of meet me, you can't, I'm quite hard to forget sometimes. And so I think they'd be like, we know she's, she can. She's not on the list this this time. She can go, but um, <laughs> but no, it was it was really cool. And we got I got I got to be on the pitch again for the national anthems, which was like quite an exciting one because it was obviously Scotland and England. So, wow, what an experience! Yeah, it was it was really odd. I was there like I, was like, I don't think I could ever get used to this, like ever. It's amazing. Yeah, but and then there was obviously the conference that Molly Molly went to as well, which was quite cool. Um, so I yeah, was, they they I came away buzzing. All of them came away absolutely buzzing from it. Um, oh my god, so did I. I had, yeah. I had a drive, the long drive back down to Devon, and I was just buzzing the whole way down. Like this was so amazing, was so good. But yeah, it was great for them. In terms of um, the message, really, from that, it's that actually, you know, if you get involved in refereeing as a female player or somebody that just loves rugby, actually. There is a route through that to actually be involved in the game at the highest level, isn't there? I mean, you, I know, admittedly, you're not refereeing at the highest level, but you, you know, you're able within that refereeing arena to, to to have access to things and to learn um, from other people that 
you wouldn't necessarily get as a player because of the the, the different pathway, I suppose. Um, you know, what, what what have you taken out of the experience of moving over to be a referee? Um, just that, like, there's a whole world of, of, like, opportunities and exciting things to do and, like, ways to progress and routes to go down that you just don't even know are there when you're a player, like, on the refereeing side of things. I mean, as a player, there's the obvious, you know, you play for your club, then you play for your county, then your region, and you can kind of work up the pathway that way if you start it um, early enough or if you're good enough, like as a natural. I was never naturally gifted at rugby, so those kind of aspirations were not even on my radar. radar. I was very realistic about that. But um, it was just that there was a whole lot of things within the refereeing side of things that I just didn't think would be there and would be something that I could like do and apply for like so I put myself forward for these conferences and you know I get asked like do you want to come to this thing and I'm like well let's see if I can make it work I make it work and I go and I have a great time and it's just like you kind of it's very much you get out what you put in but at the same time you get given these opportunities to kind of help keep you excited and to keep you loving it and to show you, you know, that there is more to refereeing than just being on the pitch as a referee, that there's like other ways you can help grow the game, especially as a female, like on that side of things. A lot of people think once you stop playing, you might as well just go to coaching or just stop completely or do a committee role. But actually if you stop playing, but you miss being involved and you don't want to coach, you don't want to sit on a committee, you know, which both, both of those things are great as well. I, I sit on the, my team committee and I've sat on my club committee quite a few times. I just don't think I'm much of a coach in that respect, but the referee inside of things was just a whole new bit for me to kind of have as like my little world of rugby that, you know, I worked hard for. And then, but also I can still, put in the same level of enthusiasm that I had when playing, like encouraging people to become referees as well as players now. Because I'm like, well look at all this really cool stuff I get to do. Like I didn't think I'd get to do any of this really cool stuff. No, that's amazing. Absolutely. One thing that you hear talked about in the game, and I have seen it in my own eyes, I refereed by accident at an under thirteens game last year and the whole thing ended up in disaster with me having to blow the whistle early due to spectators fighting. Um, which was fun. Uh, but you are starting to hear more people within the game complain about the behaviour of spectators, players to a lesser extent. You know, I think that there's always a, the odd game, I guess, but it's the general, you know, scrutiny, behaviour, attitudes towards officials has crept the wrong side of, of the line, I think, in, in the last year or two. Um, there's m- no doubt lots of reasons for that, none of which are valid in my view because it's never appropriate. But what have you experienced and how do you handle it? Um, so I've been fairly okay. Like I've had a couple of people try and get chopsy and I kind of I manage it. I, I, I've, so far I've managed to shut it down quite quickly. I had a game um, on the weekend. I'm not going to say what teams it is because I don't want to like, call them out. But um, I'd refereed them in a game and they'd won and um, the individuals were uh, on the sidelines were really lovely, full of really good feedback. And then this other game that I refereed them, they it, the game was a bit closer. They lost, um, but they were also 
not quite so nice, not quite so full of praise on the sidelines. And I just, from where I was stood, told them to politely be quiet. Um, the first time I just shouted, I pointed towards the coach and I shouted, I don't need your input. Thank you. And made it known that I was talking to him. The, the second time it was a few minutes before the end of the game. I, he shouted high tackle, which I had seen. I just, he'd shouted it before I'd blown my whistle. So I took the time off and I explained, I'm going to give a penalty because that was a high tackle. And then I addressed him and I said, I'm also, I'm refereeing this game, not you. I'm not having you continually shout from the sidelines. I don't want any more of it. And then I turned to the captain and I said, I don't care if there's three minutes left or 30 seconds left in this game. If I hear anything else, they're gone, regardless of how long's left. And it's just, it's, I was, I was always worried about how I would deal with that kind of conflict and like having managed that. And then I had an assessor that game and she said I handled it quite well. So I kind of feel that actually I've kind of maybe got a better handle of it so far than I thought it would. I have, you know, I'm under no aspersions that that's the most it'll ever be. I imagine that I probably will get a bit of flack some places where I go, but I feel that I could probably hold my own enough to just be like, I don't appreciate you talking to me like that. You don't, that I'm not accept that that's not acceptable, whether I'm female, male, or what I'm here as a referee. So you respect a referee, or the game doesn't happen. And it's just it's one of those like you can't. They talk about the shortage of referees, and I think some of it is due to the creeping levels of match official abuse that is happening. And it's a shame. I think um, I just think more needs to be done about it. But then you've got people like Razia Erasmus who does like an hour long video and then doesn't really it just gets like a three match ban and it's just like right okay well that doesn't really send the right message I I felt it didn't send the right message that he you know especially after the second time and got an even shorter ban and I was like that's twice he's done it on a public global scale and we're trying to stamp out match official abuse and yet that's a prime example to kind of make an example and say this is a standard that we set at this level and we expect it right the way down to the bottom as well. We don't want any of it, but that's just that's just my opinion. So I could yeah. be wrong. I think, yeah. I mean, I think at the international level, coaches argue, and I, I you know, I share a little bit of sympathy, I, I guess, where their players and their conduct is under constant scrutiny. There are so many cameras around the ground. You know, decisions are analysed from fifteen different angles. Uh, and it can result in a win or lose of a match, and it can result in a player getting a red card, you know, when otherwise it would have been waved on as a penalty, perhaps. Um, and I think the argument is that referees aren't put under the same amount of scrutiny. But what they don't, th- what I don't think they realise is how that filters down into the grassroots game, and how in a grassroots game, you know, particularly at you know third, fourth team level at, the, at your local club, or you know, in the junior women's leagues and so on, like nobody really knows what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like three or four players on the pitch know what they're doing. Everyone's a bit unfit. The ball's, you know, slippery and the facilities are a bit crap and it's peeing with rain and all the rest of it. You know, your job is there to facilitate the game as much as anything else and keep it safe, isn't it? You're not, you're not there to you know, provide a masterclass in laws adherence. Exactly. And the thing is, like, my game, my role is to make sure that the game is played safely and, you know, that the laws are applied to the best of everybody's ability and as long as things aren't unsafe, I'm like as long as as long as it's safe and doing my job correctly, and as long as I'm making sure that I see things, but I'm not going to see everything, like because it is grassroots. I don't have a TMO. I don't always have like mic'd up ARs, and do you know what I mean? Like on a Sunday afternoon, 
in the middle of you know Exeter. That doesn't happen. So it is just if I if I see it, I'll I'll give it, and if I don't see it, I can't. And it's just you get people like piping up, like but uh, on the sidelines you see different sides of the game than you do when you're on the pitch. And it's just like even as a referee, when you're in the middle of it, you see it very differently to how you do when you're playing as well. And that's the kind of um, that was also quite eye opening as well. It's just like you're in a different, you're in a completely different position, and you get to see things in a different kind of eye and view than you would if you were at the bottom of a ruck, for example. Because I can see the whole ruck, but if you're at the bottom of the ruck, you can only really see what's immediately around you. Provided, you know, and if there's loads of players all over you, you can't see anything. Whereas I can see everybody, that whole mess of people, I can see that. But on the sidelines, you can't see what I can see because I'm around one side. And it's just, I think it's just, it needs to be um, a, a kind of a three way understanding between the coaches, the players, well, coaches, spectators, the players, and the referee that, you know, we're all going to see different parts of the game in different ways. And it's just like me as a referee, I'll be there to manage what I see the best I can. And if you as a player see something different, make me aware and I'll look out for it. But don't shout at me if I've missed something or don't shout at me because you feel that I should be doing something differently. That's not that's not how you're going to keep me on side and make me want to listen to you. No, not at all. Fully agree. Great stuff. So looking overall then, Holly, what has rugby given to you? Um, personally, no, I'm kidding. Uh, it's I. I do you know what? It's a whole a whole lot of things. In all honesty, like I moved down to Devon, didn't know anybody, so immediately I had a circle of friends, and then it was just it evolved into this community of people. Like I know quite a lot of people within the rugby community around Devon, um, and probably now in other parts of England as well. But it's like. It's just something fun. It's something for me. Like when I'm on that pitch, I'm not Holly, the healthcare assistant at the hospital. I'm not Holly, the mum. You know, I was Holly, the Holly, the prop, but now I'm Holly, the ref when I'm on that pitch. And it's just, it's me, something for me to kind of enjoy and, and have. But also I had never really been into sports at school and I was never like, well, I tried netball, but it wasn't, it wasn't for me. I wasn't very athletic and I was just like, I'm not fast enough for this. I'm not that good at this I, I don't really like netball that much and then I found rugby and it was just I was like oh I can I can do this and then it's the social aspect as well it's you know you you can walk into a rugby club anywhere in the country and immediately you've got people that are def- just like-minded people you just go and have a drink and if someone like start a conversation with somebody and that's it you're kind of there like every clubhouse could just be your clubhouse if that makes sense yeah, totally yeah i totally agree uh you know they've all got their own unique personalities and some i prefer over others for sure but in the main you know once you get chatting to rugby people it doesn't matter whether they're male female you know they played at a top level at a grassroots level you've got that point of reference and you share similar values, I think, as people, don't you? Yeah, and it's just like, it's it sounds a bit cliche and cheesy, but like it is it is a rugby family. <laughs> like we, like I've got one of, one of my teammates tragically passed away um, just over seven years ago and we have a memorial game for her every year. And our first memorial game, we were, we had 
donations of raffle prizes and auction prizes from all over the country. And we were just shocked and people were just like, well, it's rugby family, isn't it? Like this yeah. is what we do for rugby family. And it just, you know, like our club in, Dev- in you know, in, in Exeter that was only like two, maybe three seasons, about two seasons old at that point, had had all this support purely because we share the same sport around like with other clubs around the country and it was just really nice to kind of have that and then you kind of you see how the rugby community really pulls together for things that are not just on the pitch but also off the pitch as well and it's it's just it just feels like a nice little yeah family it sounds really corny when i say that (laughs) no no i agree i absolutely agree i think like one thing that we all got blown away by down at the little grassroots festival we did in august um, was exactly that, you know, you, you kind of walk in and we're, we're from Northwest. I mean, well, I'm not personally, but uh, I live up here. Uh, I kind of came all that way down to, to Exeter, team coming up from Cornwall, team in Exeter, you guys, Victoria Rush and all that. Never met each other before. And w- within a couple of hours, we were mates and, it, you know, we would, as if we were one, but part of one big club, which uh, I love. And I think it's uh, one of the unique things about our sport. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's just like you can just have a laugh with anybody and everybody. Like, you know, you can go and sit next to the opposition of a team at a rugby game and have a great time, share a beer, you know, share some laughs, have a bit of banter, bit like a couple of digs here and there, like jokey digs, obviously. But mm. and at the end of the day, you're both you're both there for the same reason. You're both there to watch a game of rugby, and you know that one team has to win and one team has to lose, and there's no point fighting about it or getting bent out of shape because your team lost you know because you're just there to have a have a good day and and watch watch a game of rugby i haven't really been a stupid ref apart from i mean like i had a game the other week where my cards kept falling out my pocket (laughs) so and it was under 16 girls like cup final game (laughs) and um like there were, it was there was a little bit of like I had to kind of tell people off for their attitudes. It was only it wasn't massive. It was just a bit like mm, just you know what this that's unnecessary. Let's you know remember this is still a game, a nice game of rugby. And I'm there trying to have that authority, and then I'm just getting a, a tap on the shoulder like um um ref, uh, you've dropped your cards again. I'm like oh thank you. <laughs> And it was just like, it happened about three or four times. And it was also, that was the first and only game, I think, that has ever been recorded on VO as well. Oh, no. I was was like, this is is terrible. It was the day after I did my curtain raise at Twickenham. So, like, obviously, people on the sidelines were like, she refereed at Twickenham? And she's dropping (laughs) it all over the gas? And it's just, it's really hard. But I think, I'd like to think I kind of styled it out quite nicely. But it is kind of... I imagine in an adult game, it would probably be a bit harder to kind of maintain that level of authority and respect when they're like, you've dropped your cards to fall out your pocket again. Like, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, that's still, still you're about up. to send a player off and you have to go get them to get the card to give to themselves and then give back to you before they leave the field. That could be quite a, a clangor in the circumstances. A hundred percent. Like, um, I'm going to send you off, but one of you has got my cards. So I'd like them back, please. <laughs> Just need to get better pockets, I think. Absolutely. It's all the kit manufacturers out there. Make, we've had this conversation before, actually, with I think with Fiona Brunt about how referees' shorts don't have suitable yeah. pockets. So let's sort it out. How brave you're listening? Get on it. Um, yeah, it's all very well having nice women's fit tops, but if the shorts don't hold cards. They're no good. Exactly, women's fit shorts that have pockets. That's that's all we want. 
Well, a bit more than that, I suppose. It's a simple ask in the grand scheme of things. Oh, 100%. It's not much. Not much at all. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Holly, look, fantastic to have you on again. Um, actually, I've got a little announcement whilst you're on. Um, we've organised the next Grassroots Festival uh, for for August. So we're going to go down to Avonmouth uh, and, and do a, a, another festival there in August with a date to be arranged. But if you're free, it'd be, love, it'd be lovely to have you down again um, and uh, and see you. I grew up up the road from that club. That is the oh, club I used to go yeah, I used to go and spend my weekends down there, and then I used to get every fireworks night was down there as well. So that's kind of like my home club. I was never really into rugby at the time. I, was, I think I was just more into the rugby boys, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> the rugby boys and the karaoke, that was what swung it for me. But, um, but no, that. yeah, definitely let me know the dates, and I'll 100% be there. Awesome. I hope you can. Yeah, I'll let you know as soon as I do. But yeah, in the meantime, Holly, look, great to hear you. Fantastic to hear what you're doing in the game as a referee, and you know, all of the best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been been really lovely. Bit of news for those of you that were desperately unlucky to miss out on the Grassroots Festival last year. There's going to be another one. So we've now nailed down the dates to go to Avonmouth in Bristol on the 19th of August. So we're really excited about this. So we're currently in the planning stage with the Avonmouth Clares uh, ladies team who came on the pod a couple of weeks ago. But we've already got some great people lined up. So Victoria Rush has agreed to come down again. Uh, Fiona Brunt just messaged me to say she can make it. We've got the prop life, Gemma, uh, who's going to come along. And uh, we're currently in the process of trying to raise a team and get the panel sorted and the rest of it. So put it in your diaries and we hope you can come along and watch us. Are we going to be playing for the Oggy Man? No, we can't. You see, this, so here's the thing. Oh, God. Can't we just swing it? Right. Somehow. Kings Rugby Club are actually really good. Avonmouth Clares, sorry, Avonmouth Clares, but you're not quite as good as they are, let's be honest. Even with grassroots nomads? Even with a nomad, even with a little bit of support, even if we soft them up by unleashing Jody on their back three again. I think Ding's apparently a little bit pro and don't want no. beer on a half-time and aren't interested oh. in kicking competitions and that sort of shit. So. Isn't Ding's ground where Bears play? Is it? At Shaftesbury Park. Oh. I don't know, I could be remembering wrong but i have a funny feeling that things are based at shaftesbury park which is where come bears well, can we go and steal it doggy man hmm. <laughs> well if you, if you really want to make the make the trip down there to steal the doggy man no i mean at the time i'm not i don't want to make a special journey i mean when we're there go and check out things yeah could do how are you doing where's the bar <laughs> where's the bar? where's the doggy man <laughs> nothing to see here <laughs> we need to free the doggy man i feel like we need to free the doggy man I think we should donate another Oggy Man. In fact, Molly, have you still got that gnome? Yeah, but I really like my gnome. <laughs> Did you not donate it? That was a housewarming present was it? from Reed. <laughs> yeah, I can, but I'm not really Did we talk about to. this on the pod before? No. So, for listeners, there was a gnome that, that was liberated from its original owner. How did it come about? It just appeared one night, didn't it, in your house? <sighs> so... Obviously, round our estate, someone had been on a massive piss-up and gone into someone's garden, liberated a gnome with its bottom out, I think. Is that right, Molly? It's got a bare-bottom gnome. Um, they put it by a T-junction, and I drove past it in the morning and said, yeah, someone got pissed, took someone's gnome. Anyway, uh, my sister had been round and took my daughter out, and blah, 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 we mentioned the gnome. I went up to my room to get changed later that evening, and there on my bedside table was the gnome. <laughs> well, so yeah, and then uh, Molly moved into a new house. I'm like, 
I know what's a great housewarming present. The gnome with the bare bottom. So, this yeah. gnome is just making his way around Nantwich lately. <laughs> Basically. Yes. Yeah. But I thought it'd be quite cool to paint the gnome in the Avonmouth colours and it could like be a new Oggy Man, but Molly's obviously become quite attached to it, so... No, no, I'll um, sacrifice the gnome, but I think Jodie and Goose should tell us about the Gilbert and Gilly <laughs> mascots that they've that they've basically enthralled on the magpies. I think that would be really good, which is our second I'm going to message them now. We haven't had an update from them, have we? No. I mean, this was all Jodie's grand plan. I just supplied the egg. In fairness, I think... Plan. I think it was Matt's original idea, the egg. Oh, possibly. It is a non-training egg. Yes. It is a non-training egg. It's a brilliant idea. Well, kind of. It's it's going to the uh, top trainer each week now. And there's two eggs. There's Gilly and Gilbert. Gilly is the woman because she's got a Sharpie bow on her forehead and a monobrow. She's got a bow and some reason. It was supposed to be a (laughs) fringe and it came out like a monobrow. We're supposed to get updates daily, I was hoping for. We haven't got anything yet. Yeah, at least every other day, at a minimum. Nothing. Message in the group, see Nothing. what's going on. Yeah. Who are the offenders? Uh, Hannah. Kim and Hannah. Yeah. Kim. So, can I just... King. She should know better than that. Exactly. Is this two eggs that if you, like, dick of the day, you have to take home and do no, stuff? No, top, top like trainer. Dana, yeah, you look after it for the with. week. They're not hard-boiled or anything like that. They're fresh from the chicken. Yeah, they oh, have to God. care for, and they're supposed to send us pictures of Gilly and Gilbert on their daily travels, having some fun, going exploring the world. And actually, I'm concerned that Gilly and Gilbert might be dead because we haven't heard anything about them. <laughs> I, I agree. I think someone's sat on them, but I have just put a little message in the chat, guys. I've found the gnome that's much more suitable for the grassroots, and I will paint yes. it, buy it, and paint it in <laughs> no bad colours. So if you yes, see Molly. it. I've just put it in. It's a mini drunk garden yes. room. Yeah, <laughs> that actually looks like Batty after the night out for the nomads. <laughs> Fortunately, you can't smell it. <laughs> that note has got a serious order on the crisp packet. Sleep. Actually, on that out. note, we definitely need to upgrade our accommodation this year. What? Enough have enough bed, bed. people. Yeah, that'd yeah, be nice. Exactly. That'd be a nice start, wouldn't it? I'm not going to lie. I don't want to one of us Bobby. sort the, the housing out, Batty, instead of you, maybe this time round. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Mm. I was very grateful for the accommodation. Because you had a double fucking bed. Yeah. You were in a nice, the lovely double bed with your boyfriend at the time. Yeah, however, you then didn't have Sherry on another mattress on the floor standing over you in the middle of the night saying, Lavem, can you hear Reed snoring? <laughs> yes, Sherry, I can. I'm trying to sleep through it, but you're standing over maybe me. Maybe I should have my own accommodation. <laughs> that might solve the problem. Actually, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't talk. I would like quite like a bed this year, actually. That would be quite nice. That'd be a good start. These are good minimum standards, aren't they? For someone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, to all our millions of listeners, Avonmouth, 19th of August. More information to follow. But if last year's anything to go by, you'll have the best day ever. It'll be and a you know you might even see some some rugby on as well. So yeah, <laughs> are we going to see some catering from Kennedy's? The mobile catering van is it coming? <sighs> um, okay, bear with. Yeah, I'll put it on my list. Could do. Could do. <laughs> Excellent. Smash burgers, black ice cream, all kinds. Yeah. yeah. That might not travel very well. The ice cream. You could sleep in your van. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I can lend you my mattress. The Mitras. <laughs> the Mitras. 
How far is it? How long <laughs> have we got to travel? Eight Eight hours, it? sounds really yeah, far. It's about Not three far. hours. About three hours. What, what county is it in? Yes, it is. It's Bristol. Oh. You just turn right at Gordano Services. Hold on a minute. I thought we were doing it a lot closer to home this time. It took us seven hours last time. I don't know why. Right, it's seven hours back. Two hours. You can't even get to Birmingham in two hours. Well, you're obviously not driving fast enough. Well, you certainly weren't, were you, Batty? If it took you, <laughs> no, <laughs> you I'm limited to seventy miles an hour. How's that going to work with a shed load of burgers? I'm not in charge of logistics. <laughs> what are you in oh, charge no, of? No, not re- accommodation. The concept. Two and a half hours, <laughs> it reckons it will take us to get there. Yeah, that's a good time. So that's nine yeah, for me, Batty. Me and you, Mol, are doing two and a half hours. <laughs> I was just thinking the other day how much we've achieved in this year that from the podcast. We've done one grassroots festival and we're now planning a second one. I was looking at all the things that I'm grateful in my life and this is one of the things I was thinking is like this is what we've achieved. And I was thinking, how have we done this? It's amazing, it's ridiculous that this is even happening, that we can organise it and it went so well last year, that well that we've got another one coming up. It's amazing. It is pretty awesome. Considering all we do is Let's talk shit for now. Yeah. Yeah, we also broke into the top thirty for the rugby podcast charts recently. That was pretty cool. It's crazy. It's we were literally we were, we were the top women's podcast out there. We were ahead of Good the Scuzz and Rugby and <gasps> Women's Rugby Pod. What? Only for about an hour. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take yeah. what we can. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But basically, every single podcast that was ahead of us in the charts is like one of the pro ones. Oh, wow. So it's like the the Rugby Pod and the Good Bad and Rugby and Telegraph podcast and all that kind of stuff. And there was us. <laughs> That's pretty darn cool. Squatting, <laughs> <laughs> lowering the tone. Squatting? Number thirty. Oh. <laughs> 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 not that kind of squatting. You're <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. If, if death was <laughs> imminent, <laughs> and there was no time for anything else, probably. Knock on, knock off. Molly, you got a quiz for us. I don't want to take Jodie's limelight, though, because I was going to supply her with the book. I might win something. Oh, I could win. You could win. <laughs> the only one that's never won knock on, knock off. Jodie, <laughs> I know, <isn't> yeah. Bad, <laughs> isn't it? I don't think me or Reed have won, have we, properly? I, I, won, I won the yeah, food. You won fair and square. Okay, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to do the quiz and then the answer? Or maybe let us answer before you give the answer, otherwise that'd be a totally pointless quiz. <laughs> All right, dickheads. Okay, right, question one. So it's Six Nations themed. In 1999, which team won the final ever Five Nations? And we'll go... So it's not Italy. We'll go Goose first. Uh, Scotland. Okay, Reed. France. Batty. France. Okay, Jodie. Ireland. Okay, the answer was Scotland. Woohoo! <laughs> really? <laughs> oh my god! So, did anyone get a point? I did. Goose. So one point to Goose. You'll have to keep your own score because, like I say, I'm not Jodie. I'm not keeping keeping. Score. Oh my god! I might win then if we're keeping our own scores. <laughs> no, okay, we know it's Goose. <laughs> point for us all. Lovely. <laughs> Question two, who joined the home nations in 1910 to make it the five nations? Oh, this one. Batty. France. Goose. France. Lou. France. <laughs> Jodie. <laughs> France. Uh, correct, funnily enough. <laughs> oh, 
Thanks, Matty. All right. Okay. So, Goose, funnily enough, you're winning now. (laughs) Okay. Question three. England compete against which team for the Millennium Trophy? This one is first to answer. Wales. Wales. Anyone else? Ireland. Scotland. And that's a point to Matt. No. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> that was your smug laugh, wasn't it? Matt? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Question four. Which Englishman scored a record 81 points in the 2001 Six Nations? We'll go round for this one. And we'll go Jody first. Oh, no. It's Johnny Wilkinson. Okay, Goose. Yeah, Johnny Wilkinson. Matt. I think it's Johnny Wilkinson. I'm going to say Charlie Hodgson. Okay, and Lou. Yeah, well, Johnny Wilkinson was the first name that came to me. Okay, correct. Hey. Johnny Wilkinson. Right. Okay, <gasps> next one's a little bit harder. Okay, who scored the first hat-trick of the Six Nations era in a match for England against Italy? So for any of you that aren't sure, it is an English person. What year was it? And we're going to go... <laughs> what him. year was it? Doesn't it? Say, oh. it doesn't say, It doesn't say. It says first hat-trick of the Six Nations era in a match for England against Italy. And we'll go Lou first. Oh, shit. Johnny Wilkinson. Okay. <laughs> Goose. Oh, God. Mike Tindall. Okay, Jodie. Austin Healy. <laughs> Who is a twat. <laughs> Josh Lucy. And it's a point to Jodie. It was Austin no! Healy. <laughs> no way. No, I it was a shit answer. It's actually the right a- answer. Yeah, everyone laughed at poor well, girl. Because he's a twat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This one's quite hard as well, but I think Matt might pip it. So, Mike Gibson played 56 Nations matches for which team? And we'll go Jody first. Ireland. Matt? I actually don't know the answer to that. I'm going to say Wales. Lou? I'm going to say Scotland. Goose? Italy. <laughs> and the answer is Ireland. Oh. Fuck yeah! Okay, this is why I like quizzes. <laughs> this is why I was started knock on knock off. I love wow. winning. <laughs> that was a good growl on you there, Jodie. <laughs> was that accompanied by your cum face at the same time? <laughs> I should hope not. <laughs> Next question. Which Frenchman was voted player of the tournament in both 2020 and 22? And we'll go oh. goose first. Uh, and. Matt? Antoine Dupont. Lou? Guess what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, um. And Jody. Ditto. Okay, shockingly, you all got that correct. Hey. So to finish, we're going to have five more, well, no, four more questions, and each person's going to pick a letter, and then I'm going to ask a question from that letter. So we'll go oh, Lou first. Pick a letter. What, any letter? Yes, from the alphabet, darling. <laughs> okay. L for Louise. Okie dokie. So the question is on Ooh. London Irish. Mm. Christ. Well, you picked L, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> like. <laughs> okay. Wait. Okay. What? Well, it's an open. I can't. The quiz book. The quiz book calls this. Okay. Quiz is my this is the question. What is the. And Lou, you will go last because it's your question. 
What is the name of the Irish wolfhound who is the mascot of London Irish? <laughs> so we'll go for oh Matt God. first. Paddy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay, Jody. Digger. What would you? Hey. What did you say? Who? <laughs> Digger. Digger. You're Digger the wolf. Okay. Goose. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> okay, and Lou. <laughs> Destroyer. Okay, so I'm gonna say that Jody's googling this because the answer is digger. Oh, no, I don't know. No, How would you possibly guess that? Well, it was a guess. This is why you're not allowed to. Jody, do you not even know who London Irish are? <laughs> you're lesser next. Yeah, Mike Gibson played for London Irish. The guy who plays for Ireland. Put it to Google, Wikipedia. P. P. Oh, I don't even know if there is anyone with P. Hang on. <laughs> P. Talk amongst yourselves. No, there's no P. <laughs> You're going to have to have a random category that's close to P. So we're going to go New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> New Zealand. How is that close to N? P? That's cl- the team <laughs> in my in my book. There's no O and there's no P. So you can have N. Okay, are Thank we ready? You. Okay, right, Jody, you'll go first on this because I think you're cheating. So, in 1999, who defeated the Falcons, so Newcastle Falcons, Jeez. in the Tetley's Bitter Cup final? And you've got 10 seconds. How's that to do with New Zealand? Sharks. Why is it P? Oh, it's, it's not N. P. Oh. Right, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've had a cock up here. I've flicked. <laughs> I've flicked. I've gone onto Newcastle Falcons. When you're the quiz master, Molly, you've got to <laughs> control your audience. You've got to get the questions right. You've got to keep a steady pace up. And so far, you've achieved none of these things. I've done really well. It's been <laughs> a hit. I feel like Molly's just in a, like an angry story. <laughs> Can we go back now? to a New Zealand question? <laughs> New Zealand, you've still got 10 <laughs> seconds, dickhead, because you're going to Google it. In which year did Richie right, okay, make his All Blacks debut? Oh, Jesus. Okay, you've got to pick a year. I don't know this guy. How do you not know Richie okay, McCoy? 2004. 2004. So 2004 in English. 2004. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't you say 2022? Don't say 2022, do you? No, but you don't say 2004. 2004 is 2004. Okay, we'll okay, go Matt Am next. I right or wrong? Matt next. Oh, Jesus. I'm going to say... 2000 and no, I'm going to say 1998. Okay, Lou. I've just done a bit of quick maths. Oops. Probably terribly wrong. I'm going to go 2002. Okay, Goose. I think it's later than you think it might be. I'm trying to remember because I watched this documentary. I think it's 90. Uh, what did Batty say? 98. Yeah, 99. I'm going to give a point to the person that got the closest, which was Reed, with two. Oh. The answer was 2001. Uh, ow! Okay, mm-hmm. right. Two more questions. So, Batty, pick your letter, not P. So that <laughs> or <would> O. Be. <laughs> or N. Or, yeah. We've got loads of N's, but we can't have or New L. Zealand. You're M then. N? M. M-, 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 M for Matt. No, there's no M. <laughs> This is a shit alphabet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what teams begin with M in English rugby? 
male sharks. <laughs> Come on, Mark, Mark. pick a letter. Leicester. B. Marathon. B. Are you actually going for B? Okay, so it's Bristol. Okay, right. Matt, you can go last. Jodie's going first for every question now. <laughs> Don't give her extra time to Google. Make her go first. Yeah, she is. She's going first right. for every question. Right. So, Jodie, who did Bristol sack as director of rugby in 2016? So you're not going to Google dad. that one then. Pass Matt's dad. dad. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Lou? I have absolutely no idea. Goose? Steve Borthwick. It wasn't, Ooh, but that's guess. a guess. And <laughs> Matt? 2016. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's whoever's came before Pat Lamb. Pat, is it Pat Lamb? No, he's in now. Oh, be fair, he's, he's currently, yeah. isn't he? He's currently the, yeah. the guy, um, the dude. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, um, um, is he going to kick yourself? Steve, Richard, was it Steve not Richard Cockrell. No, no, it was Andy Robinson. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Okay, right. Last one then. Pick your letter. E. Is that because you know it's going to be England? Or Exeter Chiefs. They're my two. Do we be nice to Goose and give her Exeter? No, because if they get it wrong. Because she's get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll yeah, probably get it wrong. That's even worse. Okie dokie. In what year, and Goose, could go last, was Eddie Jones appointed as England coach? Ooh. And Jodie, you can go first. 2015. Okie dokie. Read. Um, hold on. Aka okay, <laughs> fucking googling it. No, I'm not. I'm really not. Uh, 2013. Okay, Batty. 2012. Okay, and Goose. 2016. Okay, just go round them again because I need to find the closest. So, read. What did you say? 2013. Okay, Batty. 2012. Jody. 2015. And Goose. 26. So Jodie gets the point. Oh, 2015. Was it really? Yeah. It was after the World Cup. No, because wasn't it like eight years ago or something? How much it was the World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah. 2015. Mm. I want to ask Goose a question about Exeter. Oh, no. I am sorry to my Devon brethren in advance if I get this wrong. Okay. In what year? Oh, God. Oh, no, that's hard, actually. <laughs> In which season did Exeter Chiefs win the Premiership title for the first time? Oh, you must oh know shit, I was there. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, I have a very hazy memory of it, though, because I may have had a few pints whilst I was there. Don't blame shit. the beer, Goose. Don't blame the beer. Oh, was it 2018? <laughs> Any advances on 2018? 2017. 2019. 20... <laughs> 17 in six months. What? <laughs> Just running closer. Jodie, did you <laughs> know that seasons run for a year? <laughs> the answer was 2016 to 2017. Well, it, well, I was right. I got the end of the year. That, it would have been in 2017 when they won. Mm, okay, Goose. We'll give you that point. Hey! A true Exeter fan. Right, so Jodie, did you win? How many I think I did. did you get, Judy? <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't keeping track. Well, then you what? didn't win. Just check your Google history. You can find out how many points you got. I got five. <laughs> how many did you get, Jude? Six. 
Oh, well, there we go. So Jodie needs to go back to knock on, knock off because I can't do the quiz and Jodie's a cheat. So that's the end of that. <laughs> right, I didn't cheat. The only rugby players I actually know are the ones I named. How did you know Digger? Where have you plucked that from? <laughs> because I have a fascination with mascots. Yeah, okay, that's whatever. a lie. No, that's oh, a lie. Boy. I don't know. I don't know how I know it. I just okay, know what's it. Okay, what's Celeste Tiger's mascot? A tiger? <laughs> I'm a sail shark's mascot. <laughs> Is it a shark, Jodie? What's well, actually a chief's mascot? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> well, by hook or by crook, Jodie won. Well done, Jodie. Can we do the quiz again next week? I like this. Brunt's going to come on and do proper knock-on, knock-off with rules and everything. Uh-oh. So what do you mean? Laws, proper, sorry, laws, laws. Laws. A proper knock-on, knock-off. No, a laws one. A laws. But the answers are actually the answers, not whatever you <laughs> yeah. deem to be appropriate in the circumstances. I made the rules. How can the how can my rules be wrong? <laughs> I don't make the rules. I just live by them. Molly was a bit of an angry sorting hat during that. Like angry sorting hat. Listen, not everyone can be Gryffindor, can they? <laughs> no, yeah, this is true. I'd rather be Slytherin. It's more. <laughs> That's yeah. Jodie Slytherin at all costs. <laughs> Just a finger wow. Do not play that again. <laughs> oh, I can't even remember what context I said that. Doesn't matter, Molly. I think you were trying it. to cheer Jodie up. <laughs> oh yes, on Valentine's Day, she yeah. just needs good finger blasting. She was feeling lonely. He said, "You just need a fit good finger blasting." Oh, yeah, because Matt and her, yeah, I remember. Yeah, the mutual spooning. It's all flooding back to me now. Yeah, enough of the flooding back, but let's... Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> who wants to see us out? Jodie. Yeah, uh, what episode number is this? Nine. Okay. You've been listening to episode nine of Grassroots Women. Women from the rooftop. <laughs> 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 I forgot what the last of it was. Sensational. Sensational. Okay. You've been listening to episode nine of Grassroots Women from the Rootsop. What the fuck was that? <laughs> that was terrible. Goose, see us out. Oh, Christ. <laughs> uh, you've been listening to episode nine of the Grassroots Rugby podcast. Eight. Eight. <laughs> you said nine. Like nine, sorry, I'm mistaken. Oh, fuck's sake! <laughs> Why don't we just say good night, bitches? Good night. See you again soon. Good night, bitches. <laughs> night queen. Night people. Night, night queen. That takes us to the end of the shambles of an episode nine. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to come on the podcast, please get in touch at grassrootswomen at hotmail.com. To buy us a much-needed coffee to help us invest in the show, visit www.ko-fi.com forward slash grassroots rugby pod and as always don't forget to like and share there's an inevitable conclusion to this a brilliant finish this is grassroots women's rugby from the roots up <laughs>